and I was looking around for a brick to pick up to throw at it in case it turned on me and when I picked up the brick I looked around and it walked right down and away into the night. Seeing is believing and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter and thanks for joining me. Hi and welcome to episode 48 of Big Cat Conversations. For this edition we have two guests from different parts of the Republic of Ireland. Later we're going to hear from Donal who had an encounter in the Wicklow Mountains in the southeast. But first we are welcoming Janet, who is based in the northwest, where she had a very interesting encounter, which we're about to learn all about. So Janet, hello, thanks for coming on the show. Hi Rick, and um, yeah, I'm very pleased to be here to tell my story. Thank you. And people will straight away think, we're in Ireland, but there's no Irish accent. You've moved there, presumably, Janet. I'm actually from Cheshire in the northwest of England, and I moved here about 10 years ago for the wildlife, really, and the um, lifestyle and the landscape and the peace and quiet, really. But not to expect to see a big cat was not on the agenda, but, it, you know, that's certainly what happened. Did you know, before you had this encounter we're going to hear about, did you know any gossip about big cats potentially being in Ireland? Not actually in Ireland, no. I've had quite a lot of experience in the UK. And I've worked with conservationists and animal trusts and things because I actually was doing ecology for British Waterways over there. I've heard stories about people having sightings in the UK, but not really taken any notice of what was going on in, in Ireland. But no, never thought about big cats being here at all. I didn't consider it because I never considered how they would have got here. Before we hear about the encounter, can we just have a bit more geography? I said the northwest. I know that's very vague and general, but I mean, we don't have to have the precise sort of parish you're in, Janet, but roughly whereabouts are you? I'm in the northwest of the Republic of Ireland, so just below the border, actually. I'm about 15 minutes from the border and I'm pretty far over towards the west. So the coastline is known as the Wild Atlantic Way here, which it certainly is. It's obviously a lot of big locks here, and I'm quite near to Lock Gill, which is the famous lock that W.B. Yeats wrote all his poems around and where he lived here, and I'm very close to there. So I'm actually on the border of um, County Sligo and County Leitrim, which is like Ireland's hidden treasure, I would say. It's one of those places where um, there's not many tourists at the moment, but if they knew it was here, there would be... <laughs> Take us into the encounter then. I presume it was relatively local to where you're talking about, but um, you don't have to say precisely where. We don't like to invade people's cat areas, but take us through it if you could. Well, I have two little dogs here, two little rescue dogs, and I take them everywhere with me. It's just over a year ago, actually, and it was a gorgeous spring day and it was a lovely light and I was quite near a town, actually, a small town. We'd already been on a walk and I wanted to get them a bit dried off because they'd been in mud and things. But the sun was beautiful. And so I took them to this field, literally on the edge of the town, and opened the gate. And it's a field that I'd been in before, and it's normally got sheep in, but I checked beforehand, didn't have any sheep in it this day. But this field I stood at the top of that day was very, very shorn, very, very green, and really beautiful. We stepped through the gate, and the top of the field that I was stood on was, was an edge of a mound, and then it sloped very gently down to the rest of the field. One of my dogs turned right, and one of my dogs, which is an older little dog I have, and she's always looking for food, scraps, anything. And she'd gone off just to the left of me, and I saw that she was into something, and, you know, they're normally into something they shouldn't be into. Hmm. So I called her and she wouldn't come back. So I walked over to her, and she was into a load of nasty-looking sinewy looking bones and just a mess you know I thought god what is this and so of course I called her away took her back to the top of the hill again and then the other dog was sort of coming back and I just got this really strange feeling there was no reason for me to look left back over my shoulder towards where I'd just been 
I can't really explain it. It was almost supernatural, Rick. I'm not joking. It mm-hmm. was like something was telling me to look over my shoulder. It wasn't really fear. It was more intuitive and it was more instinctive. It's one of those hairs on the back of your neck feeling that you get very few times in your life. And so I looked round to my left. And just as I looked round, there's this creature going down the slope from the tree line and down the slope, effortlessly moving. These things happen in your brain sort of slices into milliseconds. And the first thing I thought was, God, there's a great big black dog. And then I thought, it's going to get my dogs, but it wasn't. It was moving away. And these are tiny, tiny, minuscule moments. And while those moments had passed by, of course, I thought, I thought that's, that's not a dog. That can't be a dog. And I looked at the size of it, how it was moving. And within, I would say, a total of three seconds, I realized then that it was a black cat. And it was a massive black cat. And it was moving like it wasn't running away. It was just effortlessly moving down the hill towards the what would have been the, an old stone wall and outcrop and then the Fermanagh fields, like I say, above. It just absolutely blew my mind. And as I saw it, my small youngest dog, which hadn't been at the bones, flicked up her ears and she saw it too. And before I could grab hold of her, she just tore after it. <laughs> it was like my heart was in my mouth because I was thinking, you, you're running after a huge black cat of some description there it was literally you know it was so large and so lithe it literally had to stride through the short grass and she was about three seconds behind i would say but as it got to the bottom of this hill and to the wall it stopped it stopped dead still and it turned and it looked at me and i just couldn't believe it and i actually saw because of the sunshine i saw its eyes glowing you know it's it was like you know when you see a fox in the dark in your car headlights um, and it glows back at you it was kind of like that it was like i shine in the daylight gosh yeah because it was a beautiful spring day you know with the sunshine i could see it absolutely perfectly because the grass was probably only two or three inches long because the sheep had been not long off it so it was very very shorn and i could see its head and it had the most incredible sculptured shaped head and small, round ears, really long body, and quite long legs as well, I would say. And then the tail, the tail was almost as long as the body, and the tail went right down to the ground, hooped and looped back up, you know, and then was slightly thicker at the end. And then I absolutely had no doubt then that that I was looking at a leopard. So I was just like, God, God, unbelievable. But it was actually looking at me. All The whole thing probably happened in maybe 20 seconds or so, it looked at me and it was as if it was saying, it's okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother you. I'm just I'm just gonna get out of your way, kind of thing. And as it moved then towards the wall, what I think was the most beautiful thing I saw was that because the sun was on its coat, which was like better than any dog's coat I've ever seen, it was literally gleaming. I actually saw just for a second the melanistic pattern, you know, under its fur. The shadow spots. Yeah, yeah. Just a little patch of it on its flank, you know. I was like, wow, I've just seen and had the most amazing experience. And as it then turned, it literally, in one swooping movement, jumped over the wall, which also gave me a great perspective on size, you know, because I know the stone wall and it leapt over it without any effort whatsoever. And a dog would never have been able to do that. And a domestic cat wouldn't have even been able to do that because I could see the whole length and stretch of its body. Mm-hmm. It didn't even touch the wall or stop on the wall. It just literally glided over it and then was gone into, into the real wild marshy land then, by which time my small terrier had just landed on, you know, it was literally a couple of seconds behind it. My heart was in my mouth and my terrier just went crazy. I mean, it just went, it was all over that wall. It was all over it and she would not come back. And then there was, must've been a little bit of um, an old stone cottage or barn or something. And she was in, I could see she was in there rummaging about. Then she disappeared I wasn't afraid, but I didn't really want to go and see it. And I knew that if she didn't come back soon, I was going to have to. Mm. And she was down there for about 20 minutes, which she's never done that. She's always with me. 
And eventually she came back. And so the cat must have gone way, way up into the north by then. But um, yeah, she came back, obviously thrilled. And I was just relieved that she hadn't been plucked away. Yeah, I don't think it would have wanted to sort of, you know, it wasn't a hunting scenario. I think it would have been very defensive if it had been cornered. Fortunately, plenty of space to keep running. And so I think maybe it was using, you know, that wall for some reason, maybe for hiding. And the building was very overgrown with ivy and broken fallen trees. You know, it was very, very old. Yeah. Good place for a trail camera, Janet. Yeah. What I then realised, Rick, which was really blew my mind, was when I looked back where I'd first seen this cat, the pine tree, the Scots pine that the bones were under, was only 10, 15 yards from where I was stood. And putting piece and piece together, I actually think she, I'm saying she because I have a feeling of female, I don't know why, I think the cat was almost certainly in the tree at the time I'd gone into the meadow. Hence my dog running over. She maybe was eating something from a kill the night before, but pretty sure she was up that tree and took her opportunity to take off when the dog had moved. So, The bones and remains that your dog was investigating initially, you think were the remnants of the cat's dinner? Yeah, I think so. Um, it looked like a sheep or a lamb or a ewe or something like that. It was certainly... Um, larger mammal it's, it wasn't a rabbit or anything like that and relatively fresh yes that's right it still, it still had sinew and and there was sheep wool around you know tufts of and stuff like that mm. and the reason i dragged away from it because it was fresh and it was a bit sinky to be honest <laughs> but i must have been under that tree <laughs> while that cat was above my head <laughs> because presumably there's nowhere else really easily where the cat could have come from in that time when you turned back and saw it. That's right, because that tree and the scratchy little bit of a hedge was right next to the pavement and then a road and then a sort of an estate where it's a bit of a ghost estate, so I don't know how many houses are occupied there. It's like the last little estate of the of the town. Hmm. And then of course it goes on for a while. It's a great vantage point for a cat because it's very, very quiet. I didn't see anybody, didn't hear anything, there was nothing around. Hmm. But also it was two minutes away from the main town. So it's just, it's incredible. What did your other dog do during the incident? My other dog's a bit of a scaredy cat. So she stayed with me. She's a lot older. And funnily enough, she hasn't got any teeth. <laughs> <laughs> she stayed with me. Was she aware of what was going on? Did she, Could she see it, do you think? Yeah, she was watching. But, I mean, the young one is very, very fast. I think she's got a bit of whippet in her, a bit of Jack Russell. So she's right up for running and chasing things, and she's really fast, but fortunately she's not fast enough. And she can't jump walls like that? No, she had to jump up onto the wall, you know, a few mm. steps and jump up onto the wall. She's very agile. The cat just moved over the wall in one fluid line. It was like you'd never see a dog do that, you know, mm. or gleam in the sunshine like that. Yeah, and you're probably aware that, that you are a rare witness to have seen the shadow spots, the melanistic leopard uh, markings. I mean, we assume many of them are, but people just uh, leave it at jet black because they don't see any markings. And some people know that there might be, and some people look it up afterwards and think, well, if that was a leopard, you know, I miss seeing markings. But you got a glimpse because it was illuminated in the sun, yeah? That's right, yeah. I suppose at the time I didn't even think that was... um. A big thing, but obviously since then, and I've had another, a different encounter since as well, um, have been looking it up and um, people get very brief glimpses normally or mm. they'll see something behind a hedge or along a track or something. I, I just feel like because of the lighting conditions and the, the way the grass was that day, you couldn't have had better vision. And people have said to me, oh, well, why didn't you take a picture? Why didn't you take a video? I'm like, I'm in another world when that was going on. I, I wouldn't have even known what a phone was. I was completely grounded. You know, you, you're stuck to the ground. You're watching this in absolute marvelment because it took you by surprise so much. You couldn't have acted upon anything. Did you have a mobile phone on you somewhere at the time? I don't know, to be honest, Rick. There's two types of bird watcher, isn't there? There's one that goes to watch the birds, then there's one that goes to record and mark data and mm. have a big list of the birds they've seen. I think they're the twitchers, are they? I'm not sure. Mm. 
I feel like these things are a kind of gift or a blessing. And I don't think for people to be running around trying to get photographs of everything and, you know, stalking everything. Because I think to me, it felt like um, as an animal lover anyway, especially wild animals, conservation and things, to me, it felt like a moment between me and this beautiful predator, you know, it wasn't for the media or the papers or anything like that. And that's why I thought long and hard about having this conversation with you, Mm -hmm. because to me, it it was like a sacred moment almost, you know, it really was. Yeah. Well, I think it is for a lot of people on reflection. It is very emotional for people. Yeah. Let's just say that in a very formulaic way, you had your phone on you and you could have got it out and recorded. Do you think in that time you would have got much and from that distance? Do you think it would have been successful? Well, if I was brilliant at switching my phone on, and I've just figured out that you can actually put it onto camera video without putting your pin in, you know, if I was quick enough to do all that and knowing that I could potentially be seeing it again, I think I definitely would have had time to record it, yeah. It didn't run. It was just saying, hey, I'm going to go down the hill, cross the meadow, over this wall, which I do all the time. And then the fact that it stopped, turned and looked at me, it looked at me because it knew that I was looking at it, you know, we were looking at one another. I certainly would have had the time to probably got a 10, 15 second recording, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought that because I've watched many, many videos now of supposed sightings and sightings. And I think, God, you know, without sounding big headed, I suppose, I think I just probably had one of the best sightings that I could have had. I spent most of my life out in the countryside, you know, and I have a huge respect for, um, especially for predatory animals. I don't know. It was like it was almost telling me something. I don't know. Quite a few witnesses have that kind of reaction, like they were a special moment of communing with another animal. And quite a lot of people do actually sense the gender. They may be wrong, but they do sense the gender. Yeah. I think you could also sense the gender sometimes just by size. If it's just massive, then it's normally a male. The toms are bigger. Let's just get the distance away it was at the nearest and the furthest point. So the distances were what? from when I first saw it really in the first corner of the field it was like probably an elk stood on top of an edge of a drumlin if you like so when I first saw it it probably would have been about 15 meters away from me maximum and it looked like a large dog that's what I initially thought god there's a large black dog in this field with us you know it was like where did that come from and then as it moved down the slope I, I actually wonder if I've been wondering about this. Is there a word for um, a cat when it's not running and it's not walking? <laughs> What's it doing? Yeah. It's kind of just, they don't move the same as dogs, do they? So, no, sauntering. Sauntering, yeah, it, but with purpose. <laughs> so many witnesses say that. If you think about it, there's no other animals in the British, you know, Irish zoological makeup that do that. So a lot of witnesses use the word purposefully. At the wall, how far away was the wall? Probably 40 metres from the wall, I would say. That's pretty close. All of that's pretty close. So, you'd, yeah, you would have got a good view. And because it was going, like, sort of down the slope in front of me, for the three quarters of that journey, it was sideways. It was still very close on the arc, if you know what I mean. The silhouette of it was like, I could draw it, you know, I could draw a line around it. The shape of the skull, you know, I was taking all this information and bits of information, bits of information, as mm. soon as I'd realised it wasn't a dog. Because I also thought, well, you know, the dog would have run over to us or done something, you know. Dogs act completely differently. Yeah. It was huge, but it wasn't, I don't think it was as huge as a male. It didn't have that real heaviness about it. I mean, it had really powerful, muscular you know, you know, when you saw its shoulder moving, it was like you could see the whole shoulder movement. Mm-hmm. I think it was longer legged than I would have expected, but perhaps that's because I'm more familiar with watching documentaries on jaguars, which are very stocky and heavy and big. Quite a lot of witnesses do report longer legged ones than you'd expect. But of course, if it was lower to the ground and stalking and looking a bit skulking and sneaky, it would have been more squat, wouldn't it? I guess, you know, when they're upright and walking, they do look longer limbed. Yeah, it wasn't trying to hide. It was just doing its thing. Yeah. Absolutely normal behavioural situation. As in, okay, we just arrived in this field. I was just having a bite to eat up this tree. Now you're all looking that way. I'm just going to sneak out the back door kind of thing. In that eye shine moment, did you get a colour? 
absolutely very very greeny color yeah very much greeny color people talk about the emerald island it was just beautiful a stunning stunning animal normally in daylight without any eye shine uh, illumination they are more yellowy but i guess that they went green a bit because you had that um reflectivity well, it was literally on the carpet of green, you know, it was on the carpet of emerald green. It couldn't have been greener, so if that took up a bit of the colour in the reflection, which often happens with things, doesn't it? Yeah, it was like neon green. Its head shape was very, very carved, very, very defined. And then this really small, round ears. And then as it turned, the sun just hit the top flank, which I suppose is the top of the ribcage. And then beautiful, like, silver, greyish pattern around the darker rosettes. And I thought, my God, you really are what you are, you know. It was like saying, I'm giving you a few seconds to take this in because I know you love animals. <laughs> it's like... Okay, so it was a, a complete shock because you weren't expecting it. You didn't know about big cats in Ireland. Did you get the sense that it was properly and thoroughly wild and had grown up there and knew the ropes and not within six months of coming out of captivity or anything? Did it just look wild and confident and in its own place? I think it was absolutely knew who it was, where it was, what it was doing. It owned itself and it owned that field and it owned that tree and it owned that wall and it owned that meadow you know and on and on and on since then i found out that the next county along from leitrim going eastward is cavern i googled it all and there'd been 30 sightings of exactly what i've just described over the last year or so the previous to my sighting and some of those sightings were in like a block of about 10 in and around one town and if you look at geographically i mean you couldn't be in a more perfect place if you were a wild hunting animal who wanted to stay literally out of the public gaze, but not really, you didn't have any fear of anything. Mm. The landscape here is just incredible. You can move around quite freely. There's locks and gorges and escarpments and gullies and old forests, new forests, marshlands. And you know how they're all fine with water. They can hunt fish if they want to. What's the deer population like? Massive. The deer population here is is really wild, and you're allowed to have a gun here and quite freely go and shoot the deer in the in the season because it's that overrun. We take in deer all day and all night, you know, mm. if they wanted to, and hare and rabbit and ground birds. But what I actually think is really good is there's places to breed here that probably never been touched or walked on, or you know, I'm talking about like caves and things. Den sites and layup spots. Yeah. You know when you go on Google Earth and you can go and fly around in 3D now? If you go and fly around over sort of North Leitrim, Sligo area, you can actually see just how many. Like there's a place just near me called O'Rourke's Table, which is a big escarpment with a flat top. And there's so many places, you know, that you could just hide out all along the border. No one goes there, you know. There's not really dog walking places here like there is in England. It's mostly wildness and agricultural fields. And even there, not really fenced off fields like you get in the UK. You know, not up here, it's not anyway. And Leitrim is known as the land of the Rocky County. There's not a lot of soil on it. So it's not really used for growing anything. And it's not really great for beef cattle because it's too wet. I've been looking at it on the maps and on Google Earth and there's thousands and thousands of unspoiled acres here and forests and there's still quite a lot of old forests and of course masses of lakes masses of hunting ground hiding ground breeding ground did this change your outlook on walking the dogs and going into the great outdoors of ireland initially i was just in shock i wasn't afraid or anything like that funnily enough i go into much wilder and i call them like my hands on and gretel woods you know the fact that it was like literally on the last bit coming home to let the dogs dry off and have a little run in the grass was what really shook me. Yeah. It should have been all those other areas, not just on the edge of town. The least wild bit of your walk is where it was. Yeah. It didn't put me off, but it was on my mind greatly for the first few months, I suppose. And of course, I thought, well, it's a once in a lifetime thing and it won't happen again. And then I'll just tell you quickly what happened. Mm. 
we'd gone up on a track where if you can imagine there's a at the bottom there's a small stream and a, and a meadow a small meadow and then there's a bit of a track that goes around the bottom of it, like a rough cliff face that goes then off miles and miles i imagine on the top and it just goes around a bit of an old track and it overlooks one of the locks been up there loads of times there's no like domestic animals or anything up there it's just deer really we thought we'll go up there today and it goes around a bit of a bend went through the gate which is at the bottom this is an ancient churchyard up there and the church is all collapsed and fallen in now on this on this little rocky outcrop but before we even got there we'd literally gone i don't know 10 20 yards up the track and the dogs just stopped i mean they just stopped and they were just being really strange i was like come on come on and they sniffing around they just wouldn't go. And then the hackle came up and they turned around, turned heel and wanted to go back down the track. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And then I got that same kind of feeling of there's something here. It felt like there was eyes watching me. That's how it felt. And so to the left of me was a bit of scrubbery, the little meadow and then the stream and the road. To the right of me was a little bit of rough shrubbery, rocks, moss, and then going up onto the old churchyard and then way way mm-hmm. there was something looking at me i just knew it and i could feel it i got really scared because this was a different situation i couldn't see what was looking at me i knew there was something looking at me and the dogs who are terriers mm-hmm. one of them squeaking the ball now actually um not afraid of anything at all would not go any further they just completely refused they were terrified they turned heel and before I was like, could say to them, what's the matter? They were going back down the track to the car. And I thought, well, that's just really strange. I'm feeling it now, actually. It's making my face feel a bit funny, but I got really scared then because I wasn't in any situation where I could have shouted anybody, called anybody. I know my dogs and I know that they knew that something was not right. As I looked at the shrubbery and the, and the rock face, I thought, my God, there could be anything in there. There could be little caves. There could be openings. You know, it could be there. It could be a lair in there. It could be the cat is what I thought. It could be the cat and it could be breeding. And I thought, my God, this isn't, this isn't good. And I turned around to walk down after the dogs, trying to be, you know, make myself quite small and insignificant and quiet. As I, I walked a few yards, there had been... Um, a fresh kind of muddy patch in the middle. And there, right in the middle of this muddy patch, was a great big print going upwards from where I'd just come. A massive print. And I thought, oh, my God. And then I did actually get my phone out and took a photograph of it because I thought no one, you know, no one's ever going to believe me if I ever try and tell them anything. Mm. And I took a picture of it. It was bigger than my hand, but I couldn't put my hand down. I don't know why I didn't think of putting my hand down as well because I'm not great on my phone, but I did take a picture of this print. And it was very fresh. I don't know whether we'd just come across something that had gone up the path and then had to do a quick right turn or whether something was just hanging out there. But um, that was the most frightened I've been. Because they were frightened, I was frightened. And because I couldn't see what was looking at me, I was really scared then. Because of the thought that if it's a cat and it's breeding and it has cubs, then I'm in really big trouble. If I make it scared of me or afraid of me, I was going to be in big, big trouble. Had you ever experienced that reaction from your dogs before or since? I never liked that, no. I just explained to you that she'd seen this big black cat and teared after it because she just saw, you know, a big animal running, well, not running, a big animal moving towards this wall and just saw it and saw me looking at it and gone before she'd even thought about what she was doing. But this was something else. Now, whether it had made a sound, I've read that they make lots of really low sounds and the dogs, as they always are, probably five or ten yards in front of me, whether they'd heard something, because they literally just stopped, put their hackles up, put their tails down. You know, they weren't in fighting mode. They were in scared mode. I don't buy this thing that there's a season for breeding. It doesn't work for leopards and pumas, to be honest. They have litters all year round. But it could have just been a singular one that the dogs had picked the vibes up from and they just felt threatened. Yeah. It could have also had young. But just because of the time of year, I don't think there's a time of year for breeding here. I never thought about that, Rick, but yeah, you're probably right. It was just the conditions. It's not like England where you just get dogs wandering around. 
people know who's got a dog and where it is and what sort of dog it is. And it's not like that. And certainly out in the wilds, there's no dogs wandering around because, for one thing, they'd get shot. Everybody knows everybody. I don't think for a second it was a dog prison. And it was huge. I'm looking at my phone here. I've got quite a large phone in, in my hand. And it was as big as my phone, you know. So it was a big print from something. Yeah. So these emotions you'd experienced then. Now, some people, and we've heard this on the podcast quite a lot. I hear it a lot from witnesses. If anything, they're more excited afterwards. And the sense of wildness and the sense of um, untamed nature in this animal they've seen really does affect them mostly in a positive way. Sometimes, you know, in, a, in an edgy way. But how, how did it affect you after these cases when you were dog walking and just in the outdoors? Well, like I said, the first one was a massive surprise. And so I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what was happening at the time until it had literally gone down the slope and I'd clicked the shape, the mm. silhouette, the ears, the thighs, this, that and the other, and then put it all together. So because I wasn't expecting it, I wasn't afraid at all. And because it had just been almost accommodating in how it reacted to the fact that we'd gone into the field, I wasn't afraid. But, oh, yeah, I was wildly excited. I mean, mm. I was like, my God, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. But what about in future, in days and weeks and months afterwards, when you're dog walking and in the outdoors? Not frightened. Not really frightened. I knew there's definitely one out there anyway. I thought, well, I don't think there's only one. I think they're probably breathing along that line that I mentioned and they can move around, you know, quickly. Hmm. I feel excited. But since I've been thinking about it again, I have, I think I've started to note things more, like unusual things. And I heard like um, two or three weeks ago, somebody said, we've had a, a U taken and it was a really awful kill. We don't really know what happened, but we think it was a dog and it was found at the bottom of a tree and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, hmm. You know, what happened there? Yeah. Don't forget, there's a very sparse population in Hope Bay. When I say everybody, everybody knows everybody. We only started getting postcodes last year. Good grief. Postman just knew everybody by names. Didn't have a door number or anything like that. Oh. <laughs> so everybody knows whose dog's whose and whose dog was in. And, and they all know to keep the dog in, especially now, because it's lambing season. And then when they describe that it had been killed by a really awful head trauma... And now I'm getting goosebumps and hairs on my arms because I'm thinking, God, I know what's going on here. Uh, yeah. At the same time, I feel very, very protective towards them. I feel like a real heartfelt, genuine love for them. And I mean that. I really mean that. I would never want them to come to any harm because I don't know what the answer is to all of this, Rick, because they're definitely out there and they've definitely been breeding for a while. And I actually think that what happened was when all the fashion and the, the rage for having these large cats was in the 60s and 70s, like everything else, things come through Ireland illegally all the time and across on the ferries, back and to, back and to. And a lot of them got either sent back to Northern Ireland or were ordered and brought in through Northern Ireland and then released or lost. Or Because when I started to look into it, I thought, oh, my God, of course, that's what they're doing. If you go in to smuggle anything, and especially something like that, you smuggle it through Ireland. Yeah, and you said you don't know what the answer is. Of course, there doesn't have to be an answer. Whose answer would it be? It just it just is, isn't it? They're just here, and that's it. And we want to beat ourselves up about trying to get answers and resolutions and conclusions to things, but I think this is just it. You know, we just take it as it is. They're here, and we may or may not experience them in our lifetimes and it's interesting to chat about it <laughs> hopefully we'll learn from hearing from witnesses and perspectives like yours and i was going to say what about yeah. do you hear of any ones of a different color like puma cougar mountain lion type ones have you heard of brown ones no not up here i haven't but i know that they have been spotted down in the south and the southwest mm. again there's very very rural areas down there as well but no, I haven't up here, no. But they could well be because some people don't want to tell anybody because, or certainly not anybody that would tell anybody else because of fear of ridicule and being not believed. Some people don't want to tell anybody because, like myself, I suppose, wouldn't really want to give away too much because fear of retribution and, you know, the people are gun happy and, and all that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. 
are you able to pick up other people's attitudes and and is there a trend would you say from people you've chatted with i only told one person that was on the same day because i was nearly hysterical with excitement and the fact that it'd been such a wonderful viewing i had to tell somebody and there was only one person an older lady actually who i know i can trust so i went round to this older lady's house with this news that was like so exciting and new to me and she went yes yes i know yes yes i know i've seen one myself uh. <laughs> i couldn't believe it i was expecting her to say don't be ridiculous yeah you've been on the wine i was like no no you know she's just immediately said yes yes i've seen one myself and she lived in scotland for many many years and she's had a wonderful experience in scotland so actually that wasn't a black leopard that was a i don't know whether they're called mountain lions or cougars or pumas and all of those things yeah that's what she'd seen i mean she might tell you her story one day she's a really interesting lady actually but she absolutely believed me 100 percent, which is what i needed at that time yes but had she heard of them locally she said she heard rumors about them up here i think she'd heard of the other guy the wildlife photographer that had the sighting on his land are you able to guess what you think other trends in opinion would be I think it's almost like now something that's been quite underground and quite secretive and not spoken about because of ridicule, perhaps. But now it's almost like there are people who are like, it's like almost like digging for gold now. It's like a thing, you know, it's like if you could have a metal detector to detect a big cat, people would get one. You know, it's that kind of real wanting to see one and wanting to experience. Yeah. 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 And this podcast doesn't help, does it? I think it's wonderful. No, I think it's wonderful. You just have to be a little bit careful because you don't want, well, if you're coming from our point of view, you, you know, you're, you're coming from a very conservation protective place. So, presumably, if anybody had a hostile agenda, it would be difficult in, in the terrain and the conditions and the small number of them. You'd have to be going at some to be uh, trying to pop them off in your area, I'd have thought. If you can't get your phone out of your pocket, put your PIN number in and take a picture. You're not going to be able to have much chance of, you know, making an accurate pop shot at something, are you? So I think they get the vibe, you know. I really think these cats, if you look at how the ancient Egyptians revered them. And the what I'm really interested in, again, is the shamanic thing, you know, the whole spirit animal guide thing and how they revered them as well, and especially in South America and, and in Asia, I suppose. I think these cats are smarter than us, you know. Well, that's interesting. You haven't spoken to a lot of people, but you sort of pick it up through modern media allows us to chat about it on Facebook, doesn't it, more rather than face to face. But if you went into your most local pub and started chatting to local people, do you think you'd be all kinds of reactions or people might be reticent to talk about it because it's just awkward, perhaps? A lot of people would raise their heads because they would have had knowledge of if it wasn't themselves having an experience of an encounter of viewing somebody who they knew and they trusted would have had one because it's such like i say small areas of communities are you bothered about trying to get evidence it sounds like you're very happy to leave them be and commune with them and see them as part of nature in your area but would you like to try and you know get a photo on on a trail camera yeah i think i would definitely and i have recently taken up going back out there and having a good look around like i never thought to look for um scratch marks and things like that yeah the only place that like i say i haven't been back to is the original site where i think maybe this lair was where it was an old building now i could probably go in there i actually mentioned it to this guy i said look i'd like to go and have a look around there because i've heard that they come back you know they have places apparently and then they go off and have another place Yeah, the intervals can vary, I think. But anywhere like that, where there's potential bones and a potential place for them to stash things away, I would certainly check. I'm not going on there. If I go cornering a big cat, you know, in a a small broken down cottage, my God. So we did talk about me being sexist there, thinking, well, you're a bloke, you can go, you know, (laughs) you'll be all right. (laughs) You could look for toothpits on the bones and you could put a trail camera up in there. Yeah. So that's what we talked about. So I'm actually going to get in touch with him and we're going to try and go, without the dogs, I think, put a trail cam up in there and look for evidence. I'll send you the GPS uh, location before I go. <laughs> we're only bothered about hearing from you if you've got any evidence to report back. Otherwise, who cares? Thank you for sharing a real roller coaster. And two things, actually, to finish off on. We haven't done Word of the Week 
You did say Drumlin earlier. That's a sort of little mound formed by glaciers, isn't it? Glacial retreat. So, Well, the ice melted in between them, formed the lowland, and then the Drumlin was left behind, yeah. I'm on the edge of a Drumlin, I think. Would they be good for cats, Drumlins? Well, I suppose they're vantage points. Oh, yeah. They're big sort of dollopy mounds. And they're dotted all over the place up here. And megalithic sites, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of stone circles and uh, things up here. England goes on about Stonehenge. <laughs> it's got nothing on what's going on up here, I can tell you. And most of them are just clear in fields and fairy rings. You can't go anywhere without stepping on some really ancient Celtic sites. So, yeah. And the drumlins make good vantage points, don't they? Because you can very quickly and easily scale them. Yeah, and a lot of them are wooded and wild and on the edge of locks. The where the eagles fly, you know. If I was going to be a leopard, I would want to live here, put it that way, if I wasn't living in the last part of Asia. Or... They're prone to poaching in Asia. That's the problem. I mean, leopards are doing okay in a lot of their range, but if you're a black leopard, you are a target for poaching. So, yeah, I think we've done our word of the week, though. I think we'll go for Drumlin because that is it's relevant, you know, Excellent. it's relevant to your area. Takes me back to geography and geology, O-level and A-level and field trips. That's right. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them here. And have a little look at Google Earth 3D, um, North Leitrim, Sligo area, you know, along that. It's just stunning. Lock Gill is a big lock here and it goes into the sea. But yeah, I saw a seal the other day just in Lock Gill, this end of Lock Gill. So it's obviously, it swam in to catch the spring salmon. So it's all going on. And of course, a lot of people just walk that whole coastal path, don't they? The wild Atlantic way. They do, yes. Fortunately, they walk, most of it's from the south. It's from Cork and Galway and Clare. Those are the touristy areas. I live in a place where I've been out on a bank holiday day, pre-COVID, on a beautiful beach, you know, with a beautiful sky and there's not been a soul, you know. And I can go five minutes up the road and be on another one and another one or in a forest. It's that good. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think we should do? hope that they get to live their lives out in peace and become part of the native mammal environment here and just to have as much right to be here as anything else. So when you look at what's native, nothing's really native. Everything's moved around. They're just part of the landscape now and hopefully they can be there and enjoy their peace. Well, they're culling muntjac back in the mainland here. The muntjac are introduced, so they're former Asian cat predating a former Asian deer. It sounds like you did have that moment of communing because it did recognise you and it gave you good vibes. But, I mean, if it had given yeah. you more threatening vibes, do you think you'd still have that attitude it was a um, the spirit animal side of things? I tell you, this is how I am about animals like this. Another film here, did you ever see the one about the grizzly bear with Anthony Hopkins? It was basically, he was a bear hunter, Anthony Hopkins. He basically was after grizzlies and the grizzly took him out and ate him. He literally gave himself to this grizzly in the end because he knew the grizzly was going to take him. He was like, going to hug him, you know. Hmm. I have that kind of attitude. I've got no fear of anything now, you see, at all. Yeah. If a leopard wanted to take me down and eat me, then so be it. I'll tell you, I would not even run away. As far as I know, I would give myself up to nature and, and let it embrace me. That's how I feel about it. But that's because I have a real sort of um, spiritual shamanic thing going on with me as well. So I'm very into that even though you're an ecologist by training. So you've got that science aspect to you as well. Yeah, that's right. And well, my dad was mad about animals. My dad would rather keep me off school and go off into the countryside. You know, I was always in trouble because I was never at primary school. I was always off, you know, on the river, looking for butterflies or dragonflies or just watching nature, staying out late, watching hares boxing, you know, and all this mm. thing, carry on in trouble with my mum and things because we were always coming in like miles and miles of walk in the Cheshire countryside. And of course, Cheshire's been trending on big cats recently. Near to where I used to live as well, on the Wirral and on the Chester Wirral border, yeah. I know the Wirral quite well and, you know, if you think of corridors and how wildlife use corridors, there's still enough corridors, especially where they've got rock faces and things that they can really get out of people's way. They're really smart. You think how smart the fox is. I mean, look at the fox, how it's survived and grown and it's now urbanised. I mean, you know, they're really, really clever creatures. Resourceful and adaptable, like the fox, actually, yeah. And able to just be invisible if they want to. 
Yeah. Thank you for giving us your perspective on um, living alongside a black leopard and also your sort of tourist um, promotional side of the chat <laughs> for uh, Northwest Island. And I'm definitely going there. And if I bump into any people on beaches, I'll be very disappointed. I tell you what, I got the ferry over 10 years ago and I haven't looked back. <laughs> it's just wow. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, brilliant. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks ever so much, Janet. Take care. For our next guest, we will hear about a case in the Wicklow Mountains in South East Ireland, and I'm very pleased to welcome Donald. Donald, thanks for joining us. Rick, how are you? Thanks a million for having me on. Appreciate that. Yeah, pleasure. And have I got the Wicklow Mountains location correct? Southwest of Dublin, if you look at the map of Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, mid-southeast, but they're quite a big mountain range, aren't they? It is, yeah. So you have the Dublin Mountains and the Wicklow Mountains, which are kind of connected there. So the mountain range straddles the whole county from Dublin all the way down to Wicklow. And this was 2020, was it your sighting? It was. It was late October, early November 2020. And you were driving to work, I gather. So tell us what happened when you were driving to work one evening. I work nights. So, you know, I'm on the road when not a lot of other people are on the roads there. I'd see a lot of animals, deers, foxes, everything from pheasants. You'd see them as you're driving along the road, you know, you'd see them up ahead and the eye shine and all this you'd see first. Now, I'd see a lot of them, you know, you could turn a corner and you could have three or four deer on the road. And where I live is in the middle of nowhere, but where I work, you know, do nights is literally in the middle of nowhere, you know. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's a beautiful area. It is a beautiful area, like, you know. Yeah. So it takes me approximately about a half hour to get to work and you're driving country roads. So one night I was driving down the road and 10 kilometres or so from where I was living. It goes around in an L-shaped turn to the right and then over a bridge and turns back up left. I had my high beams on in the car and I straight ahead I'd seen the eyes light up, you know, and I thought straight away, you know, fox, deer, whatever, but it was too low down for a deer. And it was a little bit high up for a fox. So I slowed down. And as I came up to the L-shaped bend, I kind of noticed the face and the outline on this was a little bit different than something that I would normally see. Now, it was a little bit kind of wider around the, the nose or the, the mouth shape. And the eyes seemed a little bit more kind of almond colored or whatever. Normally you'd see them and the eyes are very small. These eyes seemed a lot bigger. As I slowed down, this thing kind of stood up. It was on a bit of a bank with a kind of a bush behind it, but it stood up. It was no fox and it was no cat, you know, small cat, domestic cat, or, or absolutely no deer or anything like that. And, you know, as a, as a cat or, or a dog or whatever would actually stand up, it kind of comes forward a little bit. And that's when I kind of really seen the face. And it was a black cat, a large black cat's face. As it did that, it just turned around and I could see the whole body then. It was quite large and slender, you know, and kind of sleek looking. And I still had the high beams on, on the car. And at this point now, I had actually stopped the car just on the corner. And I was just sitting there looking at it. And it just kind of turned around. And that's when I could see the, the long tail, the long black tail. It just turned around and walked down this tiny embankment and back into the bush. And it was gone. I sat there for a minute or whatever, 30 seconds, a minute going like, what? What was that? Do you know, like, me and Brian trying to rattle. Um, I never in my life, I never thought of anything, you know. Yeah, we everybody, you know, has an interest in whatever, like, you know, a little bit of the unnatural or whatever. But these things never came into my mind, you know. I never, yeah. And I do a lot of hiking around the area, a lot of hiking. But that's kind of changed a little bit now. I wouldn't hike without a big stick. Even at that, when I do go hiking now, I don't go as far. Normally, when I hike, I like to go somewhere where I wouldn't know and, you know. Yes, explore and discover places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the unexplored, but I kind of like to keep to what I know now. It has changed a little bit, like, you know. So it's influenced you? Oh, Jesus, yeah. Oh, without doubt. Completely influenced me, you know. It makes me more alert, but um, in a way, I probably do be looking over my shoulder a little bit more. 
we're a small country here in Ireland, you know, but you can get out there nicely into the wilderness, you know, and on your own. I wouldn't go to places now I don't know or I haven't been before. And the place actually where I saw him, there is actually a few lovely hiking areas around there, you know. I wouldn't go there. I, I wouldn't go anywhere near there. When you were closest to it, when you stopped the car, how far away was it from you? I'd say at the most, 30 to 40 feet, at the most. So I, I was sitting in my car, and then from my car, straight in front of me, 30 feet or so, there was a ditch, or a little embankment, and then behind that there was a ditch. He, or whatever it was, was sitting there on that little embankment kind of thing. So when he stood up, he kind of looked a lot taller. Yeah, because he was elevated a bit anyway. He was elevated, yeah, exactly. He was elevated a bit, like, you know. What sort of scale compared to a dog, compared to a Labrador dog, say? A bit bigger than a Labrador dog, anyway. You know, sleeker, you know, that kind of way. Longer. And maybe it was because I had the high beams on him. I could see the kind of muscle definition a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when he turned around and went back down the bank. And the tail kind of flicked a little bit. It seemed definitely longer and sleeker. A little bit taller than, you know, your average Labrador dog. It was the head, the head size that sticks out in my mind a lot. Because when I first saw it, you know, as I've said, I've seen foxes, deers, the whole type of animals you get in Ireland and England and all that. Mm. Seeing them every night going to work, you know, in the mornings coming back. But it was the head size was the thing that kind of sticks out in my mind. The head size and the colour. But the head size was, was huge to me, like, you know, because when I seen it in the ditch, you know, if you look at a tiger, lion or whatever, big cat, when they have the head down, kind of, it looks a lot wider because of the nose shape and all that. That's what stuck out in my mind. It was the head size that kind of really caught my attention because, as I say, I had the eye beams on and I could see it perfectly. Yeah. You know? What about the eye shine, the degree of eye shine from the eyes? Yeah, the eye shine also caught me attention. It was very almondy in colour, a lot bigger and a lot farther spaced apart than a fox now would be. Almond, almond in colour. Definitely looked a fit, wild, healthy, confident cat living there, not just a couch potato. It got out of a zoo. A wild cat and totally not bothered by me. You know, just got up and just sauntered away back into the bush there. Just not bothered. That kind of, not scared me, but that kind of like, I was thinking to myself, God, it really was not bothered by me. It got up and walked away, but it didn't get up and run or anything. It just got up and sauntered away. It was in its own place. It was in its own place. You know, I was in its territory. <laughs> like, you know. What about, did you see any markings at all? As it got up and walked, possibly its back legs weren't as black as the rest of it. You know, the sleekness and the shininess, maybe the back legs. You know, just thinking about there now, maybe the back legs were kind of a little bit um, greyer, kind of, in colour. Yeah. That's it, really. Like, that could have been dirt from the ditch or anything now, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the length of the tail in proportion to the body? Oh, the tail, you know, really caught my attention as well, because it kind of flicked it a little bit. Mm -hmm. As it kind of went down, I would say half the length of the body anyway. Because as I went over, you know, down the bank and into the ditch, you know, I could still see the tail kind of tiny little bit. And that was the last thing I would have seen, you know. You presumably knew there were big cat sightings like this in the mainland in, in England, Wales and Scotland, did you? Yeah, I had heard of them, but I hadn't paid any attention to them or anything like that. I'd, I'd heard of them like before in England and all that, like, and probably came across the odd thing on YouTube or something, but I'd never really paid any attention to it. It never entered my mind. Since that, like, you know, obviously I've, you know, been on the internet and had a little look around, kind of gone on a little bit of a rabbit hole in the last few months, but there seems to be a lot more in Ireland than we're let to know of. That's what I find fascinating about the whole thing. Do the farmers know or do the farmers not know? Like, I don't know any farmers, so is it all kept hush-hush? I don't know, because there's a lot, of, a lot of sightings in Ireland, particularly around Cork area, and which will be, you know, over the west of Ireland, southwest. Well, we're looking forward to doing more podcast episodes, you know, from Ireland. I think to answer your query about 
who knows about this? I think it's always, well, you were having to speculate because I think, as you can imagine, a lot of people keep it quiet because it's it's awkward. Yeah. It's, you know, one of those things, it's all beyond our comfort zones, isn't it? Also, if it's happening on your land occasionally, you, you hardly want to tell the world about that because you don't want to invite a lot of bother and fuss and commotion. And mm, Yeah. It's like any anything like foresters or ecologists or deer stalkers or gamekeepers, people who are out, and, and farmers and horse riders, people who are out a lot. Some of them see them in Britain, anyway, in England, Wales and Scotland, and some of them don't. And the ones who don't, some of them believe their friends who say they've seen them, and some of them don't believe their friends because they think, well, how come I'm the one who's not seen one? You know, I'm out all the time, so have they made mistakes? And So I think farmers can be like that. Some of them have been exposed to the issue by seeing a dead deer carcass or unfortunately a sheep carcass on their land and seeing maybe the cat itself and putting two and two together, and some of them haven't. So I think it does vary. You were saying about the amount of animals you see, I mean deer especially, if, if you're seeing lots of deer in that area, that will be, I suspect, its main prey source. Absolutely, you know, and I, I see a lot, of, a lot of deer. I work five nights a week, so at least three of them nights a week, I would drive down the road and there would be a deer on the side of the road or you turn a corner and there could be three or four deer. Where I work, the place where I work, it's in a little valley there, so you have mountains on either side. Yeah, beautiful spot and all that. But, mm. you know, at night time there, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, you'd see deer running across the land, no problem. You know, sometimes it'll frighten the life out of you. <laughs> you know, this thing would be looking at you, you know, and yeah. you look at the wind and you see a lot of deer there. You know, Perfect for them, like perfect for them. When this happened to you, uh, I mean, we'll hear about the rabbit hole in a minute, I hope who you told and where you looked on the internet for more information yeah. and everything. But immediately when you told family and friends and things, were you a bit cautious? Did you think people wouldn't believe you? What kind of reaction did you get? Oh, absolutely. Like for a while, like a few months, I didn't say nothing to nobody. I was kind of, you know, thinking about it and as I say, on the internet or whatever. But actually the first person I told was my son. He's uh, 16 years old. I thought that he was going to kind of, yeah, right, that, here's that, yeah, right, whatever, like, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but he was, where'd you see it, like, so, you know, he, we were out in my house one day, and I, as I was driving home, I said to him, I said, that's where I seen it, he said to me, well, all right, we'll stop the car, like, we stopped the car, got out, and it was the first time I had actually been to, back to the spot, like, we just had a little look around or whatever, and I was saying, well, it must have been this height or this height or whatever, like, you know, and, as for friends and all now, you know, I didn't really say much. I probably got more on Facebook and, you know, I got interested in a few groups. Family-wise, my son, you know, was probably the only one I've kind of really uh, confided in, really, because he knows I'm not going to lie about it or anything like that. But he's the only one I know is it's not going to go, ah, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it must have helped actually going back to the location. Of course it did, yeah, and it was... It was nice actually to say it to somebody, it was like it was off my chest and he was quite interested in it. Like then he started texting me, Oh well, have you heard about England? Like it it happens quite a lot in England, you know, and that's when I start going back onto the internet and he was sending me a couple of links here and there. Oh, good stuff, yeah. And also if it can start an interest in wildlife and nature and becoming more observant, you know, being yeah. in the outdoors, I think that's all helpful, isn't it, as a young age? absolutely especially for him there you know like you know because he does come a little hiking with me sometimes you know i do quite a bit of hiking he would come with me great now if he comes with me you know it's a different hike <laughs> he's not on the lookout for it or anything like that it's just he's he's more aware of what's around him which is a good thing which is obviously a good thing you know he is a lot more aware of what's going on around him well and just to look for animal tracks is good fun isn't it that's it, exactly. And that's what we we kind of had been doing. We were, we were actually looking for animals. Now, we haven't found any, you know, that we would say were big cat tracks or anything like that. A lot of deer and fox and all that. Like, it makes the walks a lot more interesting. It sounds like it's spooked you more than I thought it would have done, Donald. But It has. But if somebody said, well, we know it's out there and there might be some more and actually we just can't tolerate them in the Wicklow Mountains and Ireland, we're just going to have to do something to eradicate them. What would you feel about that? No, God, no. God, no. I am. Um, they're very rarely seen from what I can see. There's been no people that have been, from what I know anyway, of, that have been hurt or anything like 
it's like these animals are the master of hiding themselves and, you know, don't bother with humans. Plenty of deer out there for them. I would like no coal on them, as to say, or anything like that. I know for definite they're out there, but I would like no harm in any way, shape or form to come to them. Like, they're, they're beautiful animals. Like, you know, it seems like they leave us alone, we leave them alone. I don't know, like, you know, when you're out walking or hiking, or I don't know how close one could be to you. I don't know whether they hear us first and they run and that's it, they're gone, or I don't know. I think often that's the case, particularly if people are noisy. Yeah, and we are we are noisy, you know, we're noisy walking along there, talking or, you know, whatever we're doing. So I think they kind of just scarper and that's it, they're gone. Or watch from a high vantage point and just keep a low profile until we're out of it. They're probably sitting there watching us all the time anyway. Yeah, yeah. You swap notes of people on Facebook and you're a member of the Island Facebook group, I gather. We've got you that way through um, Annie's help, which yeah. is great. Um, all yeah. that's helped, has it, finding other people to talk it through with? It is, yeah. I joined the group and I was expecting a bit of ridicule or something. I have to say it because um, I want to hear, has other people seen this? Like, you know, and yeah, there is reports of other people, but I'd like to talk, you know, privately to somebody or whatever. Or That's where I came across Annie, like, it felt a lot better actually talking to somebody that um seen very similar to what you had seen. As some of the research I was doing, you know, some people were even caught, you know, years ago, back in the mid-90s. I think the guards were doing raids on some houses in some areas. One house they actually raided in Limerick, I think it was. Like, you know, they found a lot of exotic animals, as you would call it. You know, there was two baboons, there was hair breeding tigers that had a, actually a cub it says they breeding tigers with a cub the cub actually had rickets and a canadian black bear now this is in a quite a large house in limerick there was another raid in 2002 in north dublin they found several jaguar cubs in it so these are obviously the species that people are going for do these escape do they let them go i don't know Anyway, the one you saw was wild and at home in its environment. It looked like it was there years. It was not bothered by me in any way, shape or form. I uh, didn't have time to get your mobile phone out. You didn't have a dash cam, presumably. No, not dash cam. Um, my phone, probably in my pocket. Maybe it was hooked into the story or something. I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you, Rick. It was my son that said it to me first. He said, did you record it? And that was when I first even thought it. I was like, Jesus, no, I never even thought of the phone. Never even crossed my mind. I think the youngsters are a little bit more trigger-happy with their phones, aren't they? It's almost sort of semi-automatic for them. Can't do anything but to record you, you know. Um, what's the closest sighting to that area you have heard about? In that area, the foothills of the Weekly Mountains, the closest sightings that I would have to my area would be uh, Kildare. There was a sighting in Kildare. The early 2000s, there was a cat... I think it was a yeah, it was County Kildare. So that would probably be northwest of me, maybe an hour and a half drive across the railway track. It was by some railway workers in the area. But the thing that kind of not convinced me, but got me thinking about it was like, you know, the railway workers actually wouldn't go back to the area unless they had some sort of security with them. That was the early 2000s now. So nothing really that local and nothing really that recent. Be interesting to know if there is another one, won't it? I can't find anything in my area. Most of it is up north. Newry seems to be a pretty hot spot for it. Monaghan is another. All around the northern northern counties of Ireland. Yeah, well, Donald, I want to thank you very much. I'm sure listeners really appreciate you helping us um, venture into Ireland, and we look forward to future episodes when we hear more of cases in Ireland. And I hope you get to hear about, you know, other other people in the Wicklow Mountains who have seen them, so you could swap notes better. Because it must be that must be a, a big frustration. Absolutely. If there's anyone out there in the Wicklow Mountains, Dublin Mountains, I suppose, get in touch with yourself there. You know, let me know. Yeah, and the Island Facebook group. Yeah, what's the Island Facebook group called officially? Big Cats Ireland. Big Cats Ireland is one of the Facebook groups anyway. One or two reports, not in this area, no. Well, Donald, thank you ever so much for coming on Big Cat Conversations. Really enjoyed it. My pleasure, Rick. Thank you very much. All the best.
Before we close, just to say that we have another couple of guests lined up from Ireland in a few episodes' time. The locations will be the Mourn Mountains and another part of the West Coast. And of course, anyone else from Ireland is welcome to get in touch. Janet, our first guest, mentioned North Cheshire back in England as an active area for big cats, she thought. Well, right on cue, there's been an interesting video from Nia Frodsham caught on CCTV available on the Cheshire Live newspaper website. It's one of those tantalising video clips of an animal seeming to move and behave like a large cat, but it does need scaling with a reference size prop to really establish the case. If you've not seen it, we've put a link to that footage on Cheshire Live on our website under episode 48. I just want to mention listeners' feedback and a big thanks to those of you who've been in touch recently. And in terms of reviews, we really appreciate the recent kind words several people have put on the Apple Reviews system. If you want to get in touch, the email address is rick at bigcatconversations.com. If you're listening directly from the website, that is fine. But remember that you can get episodes from all the various podcast playing systems like Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts. And then you'll get notifications when new editions go up. OK, coming up, we will be hearing about several cases, recent and old, in mid-Cornwall. Beyond that, for episode 50, we have Gareth Patterson from South Africa on his experience with lions and leopards. And we'll especially learn from his experience living alongside leopards and we'll hear examples of their different stealthy behaviour. Also in that 50th episode, well, imagine waking up at night outside in a hammock with a black panther watching over you from a tree. That's our witness report to cap off episode 50. But meantime, it's a big cat staycation in Cornwall coming next. So, time to sign off. Thanks once again to our guests, Janet and Donald. Thanks also to Annie in Ireland for helping make the contacts for us. Annie was our guest back in episode 39, talking about her encounters when she lived in Somerset. Righto, thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and bye for now. <laughs>